You're listening to Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. It's time to open up the mailbag. Joel, we'll see what questions folks have for you this week. And we start this week with Gwen, who says, My house is already paid off, but I'm about to sell it and downsize to a condo that's about $100,000 cheaper. Should I just put the money I make during this transition in the market? Well, I wouldn't say that right away, Gwen, but it depends. You know, it depends on so many other things. Congratulations, by the way, um, that you've made this decision. We have many, many clients that I thought would never downsize or even rent. We have a lot of clients that are selling their home and now renting a beautiful luxury apartment, but they can shut the door and leave anytime they want for three or four months, go to Florida or go south and then come back to it. So we're seeing a lot of our clients in retirement or getting close to retirement that are doing this. I don't know if you should put the money in the market or not. I I would almost say no, but definitely get a financial plan together to find out what are the other exposures you have. Are you overexposed to the market because of the way maybe a 401k or an IRA are set up? Are you underexposed? Do you have no exposure to the stock market at all? Is this the only $100,000 you have? So there's too many questions out there that I don't have the answers to, to be able to advise you on this, Gwen. But again, congratulations on uh, downsizing to a condo and putting $100,000 in your pocket. Please, please, please get a financial plan together before you decide what to do with that money. Do not just go ahead and kind of take a gamble with it because it might be um, the last you see of some of that $100,000. So be cautious. Carrie says, I want to start a business for baking and designing custom wedding cakes, and I'd like to put an addition on my home to give me the space to do this. Should I take the money from IRAs or get a business loan of some sort? Well, Kerry, I think your question may be flawed. First of all, you're assuming that you want to put an addition on your home to give you the space to go into the cake business. Well, that might not be a good idea. Maybe you should go check into renting space somewhere work with a landlord, maybe get a month-to-month uh, lease so that you don't have to worry about being tied up too long in case you outgrow the business or in case it doesn't work out. But I think your premise is flawed there saying, I want to put an addition on your home. How do I do that? Secondly, the question about taking money from IRAs or getting a business loan, don't take money out of retirement accounts to start a business. Keep that money sacred. That money needs to be there to pay for your retirement. And so get a loan, borrow from family members, do something other than taking the money out of your iris. So good luck in this new business. I'm a big fan of people that start businesses, but I want you to do it right, Carrie. How about Steve, who says, I'm thinking about having my mom sign her house over to me so that she won't have to sell it if she goes into the nursing home and runs out of money. Is this a smart move? Well, it, it may or may not be, Steve. If you have uh, siblings and she wants to leave the house to multiple people, it may be not the best way to do it. It would probably be better to set up a trust and have her make a gift into the trust. She can make a gift into the trust and retain the right to live in the house. And there's some rules that makes it uh, protectable against nursing home. There's a, there's a five-year look back and things like that. We're not really getting into that right now. Um, but the bottom line is she could sign the house directly over to you and you could allow her to live in it. If a certain amount of time passes by, it will be protected from the nursing home. But she could set up a trust also, uh, which may be the cleaner thing to do. And especially if you have uh, other siblings, Steve, it makes a sense, at least makes sense to, to speak with an attorney that specializes in Medicaid planning for these types of issues. Al says, I have two rental properties and both have a mortgage on them. I have enough money and investments that I could pay off both properties. 
but I'm getting enough in rent to cover the mortgages, so do I even need to pay them off? Well, it doesn't sound like you need to pay them off at all. The question is, what interest rate are you paying on the mortgage? Um, What's the actual cash flow rate after expenses on the apartments? Should you own the apartments? I mean, I know you weren't asking me that question, but should you own the apartments or the rental properties? I'm assuming they're apartments. Or does it make sense to sell them, reinvest the money? You can actually sell them and do what's called a 1031 exchange and not realize any of the uh, gains right now. So a lot of different choices you have there. Um, But again, if your interest rate on your mortgage is pretty low, I would probably keep the money aside. I love liquidity. Maybe invest that money you're going to use to pay off the mortgage in um, a nice portfolio, maybe a balanced portfolio where you're getting some safety, maybe some tax-free interest from some municipal bonds or bond funds, and uh, and you've also got some upside potential to hedge against inflation. Rolling along here on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom, Joel is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Johnson Brunetti, the official wealth management partner of the Yukon Huskies. And I believe this is the first time this has ever happened. We have a question from Joel for Joel. I don't are, are think you, we've gonna, ever had that. Yeah, you're going to get me confused here. Well, so Joel, not you, but the person asking you the question says, I know that I need an emergency fund, but instead of keeping money in a savings account, can't I just use my home equity line if I need money in a pinch? What do you think? Well, of course, you can do that, uh, Joel. You could use your home equity line if you need money in a pinch, which means uh, I, I assume that means you're fully invested uh, in other places. I'm assuming you have some savings or some investments here. Um, the problem here, here's the problem with that. If the market, were, if you're fully invested, the market were to go down, and now you're down 20 percent, and you've also used money off of your home equity line. Uh, to pay for some expense. Now, not only has your investment account gone down, but you end up with some debt on your home equity line that you've got to pay back. A lot of people regret that. I've seen that happen before. So it's not one of my favorite things for you to use your home equity line as your emergency fund, but that certainly does not mean that you can't do that. Kind of the same reason why very, very wealthy people take out big mortgages. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal a little while back where you know people that are buying these $50 million homes, $30 million homes, $50 million homes, even though they have the cash to pay cash, um, they're taking out mortgages instead. That's just kind of a way to use money uh, in a different way than is traditional. And so if you want to do that, Joel, that's fine, using your home equity line as your emergency savings. Uh, most of our clients would not want to do that. Cal says, we don't have much saved for retirement, but we're about to sell our farm for just over a million dollars. We've never really invested in the market before, so we don't really know what we're doing. Where do we start with this new money? Well, great question, Cal. You're coming into money and you haven't handled that much money before. You've seen it as being invested really in your family business, being in the farm. And so it's important that you start with a financial plan. And sometimes that can seem intimidating, that just that word financial plan doesn't have to be intimidating. All it means is that you sit down with a professional And that professional asks you about your goals in the future, the way you feel about money, maybe the way you handled money when you were growing up or the parents you handled money. What we're looking for there is we're looking for the way you're going to react emotionally based on what happens in the outside world, based on the things that you can't control. Once we identify that, once we find out what your goals are, what your dreams are, whether it's just for you. And I'm assuming since you say we, uh, that you have a spouse, do you want to leave money behind? There's just a number of different things we want to find out before we build that financial plan. And then the investments, the way you invest that money, 
serves the financial plan. And if you haven't handled money or investments before, probably better to err on the side of being cautious and conservative while you're learning how those types of accounts work. So great question, Cal. And obviously, we're here to help. Uh, If you give us a buzz, we'll give out the number a little bit later. But have a conversation with somebody you're comfortable with and make sure you understand what you're doing. And again, err on the side of caution when choosing an investment plan. All right. How about a question from Marie, who says, I wasn't planning to move, but my dream home just came on the market. My current home is paid off, but I'd have to take out a mortgage if I bought this one. I'm retiring in five years. So is it a bad idea for me to have a mortgage? Well, my feeling on this is a little contrary to some financial advisors. I don't think it's a bad idea at all for you to have a mortgage in retirement if you're comfortable with that. Some people just don't want to have any debt at all. You know, my mom and dad, they haven't had a mortgage for forever. In fact, I don't think they've owed a nickel to anybody for, you know, for the last 20, 25 years. But that's just them. There's nothing wrong, Marie, with having a mortgage in retirement. You know, if you want to live in the house of your dreams and it's costing you, you know, four and a half percent interest to, to do that on, you know, on half of the equity. I mean, I'm guessing it's it's your dream house. So it's you're probably still going to have a good chunk of equity in it. I don't think that's a problem as long as you figured out, you know, that you have the income you need through doing a retirement income plan or through doing a budget with a good financial advisor and making sure that uh, that you have the cash flow. Uh, but we want you to enjoy your retirement. We're not, you know, we don't think you should live up in the in the uh, you know the north part of Maine where it's nothing but woods and you have a cabin and an outhouse just because it's cheaper. We want you to enjoy your retirement. So we, I would love to help you figure out if your cash flow is enough to support that mortgage because it would make me feel really good for you to be in that dream home. Very good. All right. One more question for you. This is Steven who says, I'll try to keep the details brief. Long story short, I'm the executor of my deceased mother's will and my sister is currently living in mom's house. I don't want to kick her out, but I'm afraid that I'm going to need the money from the sale of the house to help fund my retirement, which starts in three months. I have about $600,000 saved, but the house would bring another 200000 which would make a huge difference. How do I figure out if I'm okay with what I have or if it's worth kicking my sister out? Well, the kicking my sister out uh, language is a little harsh. So, uh, uh, you know... Let, let's try to figure out how not to kick your sister out. So first of all, you, you need a retirement income plan. You need a financial plan to find out if that 600000 you saved, along with Social Security and any pension you might get, are going to meet all your retirement needs. Um, I think you're saying that the house would bring you another 200000 So I'm going to assume the house is worth 400000 and your sister would get half and you would get half. Um, you could actually have your sister go and get a mortgage and give you the 200000 in cash, and then she just pays the bank back. So that would be one option. But you really need a financial plan to figure out if you have to force either a sale of that house or having your sister get a mortgage on the house. You know, your mom's, the house is paid off. You said that earlier. So the house is paid off. So I think that uh, your sister going to get a mortgage if she really wants to stay in that house uh, is probably not a bad idea. And, you know, if you've got 50% equity with $200,000 mortgage on a $400,000 house, it probably wouldn't be too hard to find a bank that'll loan you that $200,000. Well, Joel, if somebody wants some more specific help for their situation, I know the Money Map Retirement Review is a great resource. Give us a brief synopsis on what that looks like. Well, it's really a three-part plan. One is you get a beautiful one-page plan. That's why we call it a map. 
It's very visual in nature, a lot of graphics on it that will show you exactly where you're at today financially. Every single asset you own is on one page. It's got your concerns we list on there, and it'll give you our recommendations. Uh, Secondly, we'll do a stress test on your portfolio. And then third, we will do an income analysis for you. That's the three-part money map retirement review. You can call us and get that, 1-800-705-1232. That's one 800 705-1232. Call now. Come on in. Visit with us. Have a cup of coffee. We'll give you that Money Map Retirement Plan absolutely free. The other question I get from time to time on the program is, Joel, can we just call you with a general question? Can we call and ask you about pension or Social Security or anything like that? Yeah, we'd be glad to have you come in and just deal with one particular question. We don't have to do a whole financial plan for you. Some people feel much more comfortable just coming in and having to address one thing. We have no problem doing that. We won't charge a nickel for it. We'll help in any way we can. And so give us a call, 1-800-705-1232. Call or text, whichever's easier. If you text, just be sure to include your first and last name, 800-705-1232, 800-705-1232. When you come in for your visit, you can pick a copy of one of Joel's books, The Money Map, or The Wealthy Think Differently, or one of his other timeless classics can be yours, 800 705 one, two, three, two. Jack says, I'm retiring in three years, and I have almost a million in my 401k, but I also have about 60000 in consumer debt between credit cards and car loans. Is it worth taking money out of the 401k now while I'm still working to get the debt paid off? Uh, no. Uh, here's what I would do is, uh, Jack, I would, first of all, if you take the money out of the 401k, here's how it works. If you have 60000 in debt that you want to pay off, you're going to have to take between $90,000 and $120,000 out of your 401k because you've got to pay taxes on the money before you have the 60000 left over to pay down the debt. So it's very expensive to take money out of your 401 to pay 60000 in debt. Again, if you're in a – let's just say you're in a 33% tax bracket, you've got to take out 90000 Pay 33% in taxes to have 60000 left over. Here's what I would do because you do want to get that consumer debt paid off before you retire. Stop putting money into the 401k. This is personally what I would do and take every nickel you're sending into that 401k. Yeah, I know you're going to have to pay some taxes on it now, but it's not paying taxes on the big chunk. It's paying taxes as you take money out in your paycheck and knock down that consumer debt. Again, I'd like to see you before you do this. I I probably should have said that. Um, Don't act on this right off the bat. Give us a call. Let me just walk through it with you. Make sure it's right for you. But don't take a big chunk out of your 401k if there's any way to avoid it. Um, But do everything you can in the next three years to knock down that debt. A lot of people probably saying, oh, I wish I'd heard that advice a year or two earlier before I did that very thing. So that's something you want to be very careful with and be sure you're getting some help and some guidance before you make decisions like that. Charlotte says, I'm retiring in the latter half of the year, exact date to be determined. And amazingly, I'll have about 16 weeks of unused vacation and sick leave that they'll have to pay me. I'm told that I can take this all in my final paycheck or continue being paid on my normal schedule every two weeks for a few months after I retire. Does it matter which way I do it? Oh, yeah, sure does. Uh, and we have this um, this question a lot. People are retiring. They get an early retirement package many times. Or in your case, Charlotte, doesn't sound like you got a package. But you've got a bunch of unused pay, unused vacation time, or it could be called severance pay that you're going to get paid. I would take it over the course of the 16 weeks as a regular paycheck. I would not take it in a lump sum. couple of reasons for that. One is when you retire, 
it's already a big enough change. You'd have 16 weeks that you would not have to worry about where you're taking your income from, what accounts are you taking them from, should you trigger Social Security early or should you wait till the last minute. You get to sit back, relax for those four months, 16 weeks, and and think about those things. Maybe see a financial planner to help you decide that. Maybe find a new financial planner that specializes in retirees uh, versus somebody that helped you save the money when you were probably investing for growth mode. The other thing is if you take it in one check, the way the tax withholding calculations work is they're going to calculate it as if you earned that much money every paycheck. So they're going to withhold a massive amount of money out of that check. And you'll just get a big giant refund, which we've talked about earlier. It doesn't make any sense to get a big giant refund. So I love the idea of taking it over a period of time. Get adjusted to retirement. You have four months to do that. You'll have plenty of time to decide where you're going to take your income if you need additional income in retirement. Great question, Charlotte. Glad you asked because it sounds like it does make a big difference for you. How about Buddy who says, I'm quite ready to retire, but I won't be old enough for Medicare for another six months. Should I just stick it out until then? That's a personal decision, buddy. Um, you are awfully close, so you could stick it out, or you can go on something called COBRA, where if you're getting medical insurance through your employer, you would just pay typically the full boat for the next six months. It probably doesn't make sense to, well, I guess you could also buy through the exchange. Um, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act provides the exchange. So that's really a personal decision. I wouldn't make it just on the health insurance. I, I would kind of lean towards what do you want to do? Because even if you have to pay full boat for six months, um, it's probably not being a listener to this program. We know you're probably a good saver. It's probably going to not ruin your retirement. How about Kevin, who says, my company matches my 401k contributions, but they do it in the form of company stock. I'm not that excited about owning a lot of company stock, but I also don't want to miss out on any matching funds. Should I still try to put in as much as I can? Well, great question, Kevin. Yeah, you should put in as much as you can. Just pretend there was no match. How much would you save? You want to save as much as you can, right? You get a tax break for saving it. The money can grow tax deferred, and there might even be a Roth option where the money can grow tax free. They're giving you the company stock and a match. Just don't buy any more company stock with your own money. So you don't have to put any of your own deferrals that you're putting in the plan into the company stock. It sounds like they're giving you the match, so you'll probably end up with a pretty good chunk of company stock. And then find out what the rules are uh, about selling it. Most of the plans that we see, especially with the big employers, you're not locked into keeping that company stock. You can sell it if you want to. So probably wouldn't buy any more, um, but I also wouldn't worry about the fact that you shouldn't put any more money in because they're giving you the match in company stock. That is the match that they're giving you. It's not your money. It's part of your compensation package that they're giving you. It's interesting to me that Kevin says he's not that interested in owning a lot of company stock because I feel like a lot of people, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but it seems like a lot of people load up too heavily on company stock. Yeah, there's definitely a, uh, I don't know what kind of a bias this would be. The psychologist would know, but you know we have that the recency bias and, and all that. There's definitely a bias that people have where they think their company is a lot safer than it really is. And so they'll end up with a lot of company stock thinking, well, nothing bad can ever happen. General Electric is a perfect example of this. Look at GE. Um, what a disaster if people held that company stock in their retirement plans. And yet almost every employee to a T that worked at GE or still works at GE, if you ask them how they felt you know, 10 years ago in 2008, they'd say, well, it's GE. Nothing can ever happen to GE. So there's definitely a – people get blinders when it comes to sometimes overestimating the safety of their particular company. And you're right, John. Most people have more than they should and they feel very safe about it. <laughs> 
Hank says, I've heard that you need to have between 15 and 20 times your annual salary in savings to be able to retire comfortably. Do you think that's accurate? Well, it could be, Hank. Let me tell you where that comes from. Uh, Pretend you didn't have any pension, any social security. You had to live completely off your savings in retirement. Well, if you had 20 times the income you want, you would be drawing off about a 5% rate of return, pulling 5% per year off that portfolio. Let me go through the math with you. If you have a $100,000 income and you want to replace that $100,000 income in retirement, 20 times 100000 is $2 million. Well, if you have a pile of money that's $2 million and it's invested well and you pull 5% off of that every year, you're pulling off 5% is 100000 off of the $2 million. Now, statistically, that may last. It may not last. Statistically, we'd run a bunch of scenarios based on an investment plan that would show you maybe running out of money when you're younger. Um, or maybe it's lasting so long that you die and, and pass a bunch on. It depends on the investment plan there. So it's important you have the right investment plan. But that's where they're getting the 20 times, Hank. Now, why would it be less than that? It would be less than that because you have income from Social Security, from pensions, or from other sources. So, you know, it, it's a pretty – it's a good ballpark uh, to think of if you're just looking for a real ballpark number. But it's not very scientific, Hank. We'd rather you have a retirement income plan that shows you if you're on track – with saving money and what type of cash flow that you can expect in retirement. All right, how about Kathy, who says, my husband and I argue about money almost every day because we just haven't done a great job of planning for retirement and it's starting to stress both of us out. Is this normal or do we need some serious help? Well, if you argue every day, I will say that's a little you know, more intense than normal. Um, but it's not uncommon for couples to disagree. You know, Wendy and I, we come from very different backgrounds. I was talking about it in, a, in a, a book I'm writing right now where she came from a family, very blue collar, um, very focused on money, very frugal, uh, and kind of looked at people that were successful with a little bit of suspicion. Um, I came a family from a family where my parents were missionaries and then involved in charity work, and they just sort of had a trust that everything was going to be okay. And so there was a different attitude towards money when Wendy and I came into our marriage. And still from time to time, that comes up. And so it's not abnormal at all for you to have a different uh, approach to money than your spouse. The important thing is that you have a plan that both of you can understand, that you can look at. And then sometimes it's a compromise where, you know, maybe with some of the money that's designated in your name, uh, you have some of that on a, on a track that makes more sense with your values. And then your husband, uh, the money that's in his name, he can invest that in the way that he feels a little more comfortable uh, with. But that's got to be in balance. You don't want to have one person or the other disrupting good, wise investments because they feel so strongly about something. That's where a good financial advisor will come in. And again, I talk about this in my book where you know, a financial advisor sometimes operates as if they're gently stepping into the area of a psychologist and a marriage counselor. And I'm not about to say that's you know, what my profession is or what my training is, but boy, it sure feels like it from time to time. And you should leave that appointment with the proper financial advisor feeling very good uh, that person understands you and that you and your spouse um, feel more comfortable understanding each other. But then you have a plan and there's always compromise involved. So many things that have to be factored in outside of just picking investments when it comes to good financial planning and managing those interpersonal relationships are part of it. Joel, if folks want some help with any of this, what can they do? 
Well, they can give us a call, 1-800-705-1232. We'd love to put together plans that have been you know, discussed specifically uh, with these mailbag questions. We can help you with that. We'll do a money map retirement review, a money map retirement plan. So you'll leave our office with a one-page financial plan. You can come in and discuss anything you want. Our time is yours, and we'll do anything we can to help you. I promise you, you'll leave our office feeling better, like you have some direction, whether you ever become a client or not. So uh, give us a buzz, 1-800-705-1232. Set up a time to come in and visit with us. We've got offices all over the place, and we'd love to sit down with you. We'd love to try to help you. Uh, We know we can, so give us a buzz, 1-800-705-1232. 1-800-705-1232 is the number to call or text. If you text, just be sure to include your first and last name. We'll get back with you later and help out however we can. Again, 800-705-1232. Don't worry about having your calendar in front of you right now. You're probably driving. That's fine. We don't need to schedule anything this moment. We just need you to say, hey, I'd like some help, and we can work out the details later. 800-705-1232 is the number to call or text. That's all we have time for this week on Joel Johnson's Money Wisdom. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week. Money Wisdom is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti. Investment advisory services offered through JB Capital LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance products offered through JN Financial LLC. Johnson Brunetti is a paid sponsor of the Yukon Huskies athletic program. Better Money is sponsored by Johnson Brunetti.